Welcome to Knights of the Cyber Table. We are here to break down the latest cybersecurity topics and rescue you from any ransomware, hacker, or breach that may lie ahead. So put on your armor and pull up a chair. Welcome back to another episode of Knights of the Cyber Table, where we eat, sleep, and breathe cybersecurity. This week, I have the pleasure of sitting down with the Director of Cybersecurity at Educause, Brian Kelly, and our Data Protection Officer, David Ross. They are here to talk to us about privacy in the higher education space, what's new, what's the same, what should institutions be aware of when it comes to their students, staff, and overall data privacy. Brian, David, happy to have you both back on the show. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, Nina. Of course. So let's hop right into it. Um, the first thing that I really wanted to, to discuss, Brian, I'm going to aim it towards you because I feel like this article is is from Educause and I and I really loved reading it. Um, so there's an article called "Post-Pandemic Future: Implications for Privacy." And it states, you know, before COVID, only a quarter of institutions required training on privacy policies. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's, it's interesting. And I think when we think about, you know, sort of raising awareness of privacy and, and data privacy, we, we know that that's going to increase. And I think, you know, typically when we think of awareness and in training or, or more specifically in higher ed education on on privacy and privacy policies or cybersecurity, um, you know, we, we want to move that sort of awareness conversation to be about privacy, right? We, we've been really good at it for years around security and cybersecurity or information security. And, and one of those things that we see increasing, or I think we'll see increasing is sort of that transparency and understanding of what data is being collected by the institutions, how that data is being used, stored, et cetera. And I think that's, you know, it's an opportunity to change the culture around privacy. And we're starting to see that sort of shifting the private into a, and David, you'll talk a little bit more about this, but that privacy by design model that supports sort of the culture of putting privacy first in our conversations, right? And raising awareness. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Brian. Um, and we're seeing more regulatory pressure that's requiring privacy education. Um, GDPR is, is the big example, but we're also seeing in some of the state-based uh, um, regulation. And as more states uh, pass comprehensive privacy regulation, or if we get a federal regulation, which is, is fairly likely in Biden's first term, you know, this this is going to be a requirement. So the re real challenge is, how do you integrate this message about privacy and how we respect uh, data subjects' rights um, and, and protect their data in a way that really, um, you know, really um, becomes internalized in, in the culture um, and in the people in your community. Awesome. No, I think those are all great points. And, and like you said, that this is something that may be coming more widespread federally or state, you know, it's, we kind of have to see, see how it goes. So David, what are some of the problems that you see institutions facing when it comes to privacy? So that's a great question. And, and Nina, I think it starts back um, at, at the fact that most institutions just don't really understand the complexities um, of the regulatory environment that they're operating in. Um, you know, most higher ed institutions, whether they're a, a small college or, or a major university or state system, 
you know, are dealing with multiple jurisdictions. You know, there's obviously their home state where they are, but they might have remote campuses. They might send students abroad. Um, they might have visiting faculty members. You know, so it, it's a very complex uh, thing. So the first thing to do is figure out what really applies to you, so you're not playing whack-a-mole with with each regulation and you're thinking about it uh, holistically. Um, the other point is is higher ed institutions. They're they're just complicated. Um, they're much more complicated than than the corporate world. There's many different departments, many different um, you know groups inside the university. Um, they all have very different uh, data pools and and d different functions. Um, also, inherently, you have a lot of autonomy. I mean, that's part of being a hired institution. These different groups are doing what they're doing, whether it be research or or, or providing classes or support services, um, and that's just built into it. Um, you know, education has this culture of of sharing. You know, data is meant to be shared so everyone can learn from it. And that, in some ways, is a, is a bit opposed to keeping things private. So you got to figure out what is the right balancing be, between these two, these two, um, you know, these two factors. Um, and, you know, in general, um, you know, not, there isn't much education as we addressed in the, in the first question um, around around privacy and what what really matters. You know, it's not just the check the box kind kind of thing. I think we're we'll talk about that more um, more in a minute. You know, all these combine to increase the level of risk across the organization. And, and just from my experience, I, I went and looked back and over the last um, three years, I've done over 30 assessments um, around privacy in higher ed. Everything from large state systems to you know, very, very small um, liberal arts colleges. And while you know, a lot of the major pieces are similar, you know, everyone has admissions, everyone has academics or registrar and those things, each one of these institutions was very, very different when it came to um, privacy both in the technical side and how they control data and what and how they're protecting it, as well as on that culture and you know how they just they they feel and treat personal information. Um, so it's not a homogeneous um, environment um, or market um, at all. And that I think that's a little unique compared to other industries. David, do you think that that misalignment or not on the same page is is hurting higher ed in general? Well, you know, it's one of those things. I think it's one of the the strengths of higher ed, and it's also one of the weaknesses. You know, mm -hmm. so it's kind of a it's a double edged sword. Um, in general, I think higher ed is very open to new ideas and thinking through things like this. They're also very receptive to things that protect their community, um, and those are things you can really leverage to get your points uh, across about about privacy. Um, so it's really just you know framing it in the proper perspective for your audience, so that they understand what's really important. And I would, I would, I would agree, David. I think you know, complexity, community, uh, and, and openness. You know, although those are all the, the hallmarks of higher ed. And I think where we see um, you know, some of the challenges or problems institutions are facing around data privacy is we're, we're, you know, in some respects, we're moving sort of beyond just sort of data privacy in con context of sort of the institutional role. It's sort of data privacy or privacy of the person, right? And this, this move or shift more toward freedom from observation or surveillance right and i and i know at the at the end of all of those those endpoints it creates creates data right so we're ultimately still talking about data privacy but really you know to your point about complexity that higher ed has that other verticals may not you know financial services or, or healthcare you know, aerospace may not be thinking about conversation around ethical use, right? So that the research and how we're collecting the data. So I think it's important to, to know where to start, right? And that's where we see a lot of our members looking for guidance around, 
you know, we, what is the regulation and which regulation is going to be the ceiling or the floor and what do we build against? So, you know, those are challenges that move into the complexity, as you've mentioned. Great. Thank you both. I think those are some great points to consider. And like like David said, there's good, there's bad, it's kind of everything with it, every industry. Brian, there's there was another article that I saw where CISO was talking about you cannot protect data if you don't know where it is. So I'm curious, what would you say to other CISOs who maybe, you know, don't agree with that or yeah, don't agree. I, I think, you know, it would be like, well, you better start looking, right? So I think, yeah. you know, I'd, I'd also add that, you know, the the what and the why are equally important here is, um, you know, it, it's sound foundational, you know, advice, but I, and I think the subtext is that the CISOs uh, represent sort of that that technical aspect of protecting privacy. While, you know, data privacy officers, chief data officers, chief privacy officers, their roles, as David's point out, are really around culture and use and the integration across campuses. So uh, I think we all have a role to play, right? And certainly if the CISO's role is to protect the data, they can't do that in a vacuum, right? So they have to know the the where, what, why, and how of it in order to help support um, culturally, you know, the institution's use of that data. Yeah, I, I would go even a little farther. I mean, you know, at this point, I don't get to convince any anyone that you need to protect this data. They, they, everyone agrees that it, that it needs to be protected. Um, you know, they might not necessarily understand how to do that, but they're but they're on that bandwagon. You know, but when I think about privacy, you know, I go even wider than that. Um, and it starts with concepts like privacy by design and default. You know, and there you're really asking yourself the questions: is why are we collecting this data? You know, are we collecting it because we can? Are we collecting it because we have a specific use? You know, um, you know, why does this data exist? Why are we, why are we uh, holding it? Um, what are we using it for? Is what we're using it for um, in alignment with with our mission or what we told the data subject we're going to use it for? You know, how does that all kind of match up, um, and does that make sense? You see this a lot when you talk about uh, data retention and data destruction. You know, at some point, data you know has a shelf life in most cases. Um, and it no longer has value. And at that point, it, sh it should go away. Um, you know, and that's better for everyone. But that's hard for a lot of people in academia to get their head around because they're so data focused. You know, they want to keep things and hold on to them forever. So asking yourself those tough questions around, you know, when I'm actually doing the collection, um, do I really need this piece of data, this PII? Um, you know, am I informing people when, when I collect this? You know, am I doing it in a way that, that uh, meets whatever the requirements are? And then, you know, how long should, should, I, should I retain it? Um, because most of the regulations say you can't collect it for one reason and use it for another. It's called purpose limitation. Um, and that's really important. And this is where the conversation um, is hard and difficult. Um, the good news is most researchers, most people in higher ed, you know, they're, they're sophisticated enough to understand these concepts and want to talk about them and want to do the right thing. Um, they just had never been framed up or put to them in, in a way that they could attack them. So, so that, that's the great thing about it. Once you show them the path, so to speak, um, they, tend to, uh, they tend to lock on and, and really embrace it. Right, and engage. And I think too, in listening to you, I think we, we're here talking about privacy, but you know, there's so much of a, a sound data governance uh, process in, in place here that if it, you know, foundationally, if you're, if you're thinking about data governance institutionally, that supports you know, how you're managing that data, whether from a security or a privacy perspective as well. David, you had a really good point too. It, it sounds like a lot of organizations and institutions, they just collect the data to, they'd rather have it 
than not have it. Yeah. So they'd rather just collect a you know a ton and then figure out what they're gonna do with it, and that's definitely not the way to huh. go about. And Nina, that that's a great fundamental point. You know, um, from an American or U.S. centric perspective, it, it, you know, the U.S. perspective used to be if I had the data, it was mine, mm-hmm. right? And the European way and the way the rest of the world is looking at it is. You know, that data really isn't mine. That data always belongs to the data subject. It, it belongs to David Ross or Brian Kelly or, or to Nina. Um, and I, I collected it to use it for a reason. And they gave me permission or, or, or whatever. Um, and that fundamental change in, in whose data is it, who owns the data, who does the data belong to, um, which gets into Brian's point about governance, um, is really kind of the key thing. And, and that's the switch that most people just have to switch in their heads and understand that this is not my data. You know, just because you know who I am and my demographics, you know, you, you know that that's really mine to control and not yours. And that's that's kind of the new world. That just sounds like a scary new world to me. But <laughs> no, I think that that you know, not to be afraid of the new world. I think to David's point is it's moving. I think it's moving in the right direction. I think uh, we started talking about awareness, right? And sort of awareness, whether that's, you know, of our institutional leadership around what they're collecting, how they're using it, who the who owns that data. Um, that's an important conversation to have. And I think that's where we're seeing those cultural changes and where awareness of having these conversations is so important to help us move to not a scary place, but move to a place of sort of commonality and, and understanding. Totally. I definitely agree with you. So, you know, we have this data, we know we need to protect it, but how do you decide what data is most important to protect? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I'll defer back to David. I think he talked a lot about that sort of in, in the last part. And I think that one is going to be driven a little bit by regulations, you know, that are applicable for you, but also sort of those cultural conversations that each institution's having, right? You have to have those conversations, not in a vacuum, but together to define what matters and how you're gonna how you're going to to protect it. Yeah, another way to look at that problem is really to the impact of the data uh, subject, and and you'll hear things like data impact assessment, and, and they're in a couple of the regulations, and really that's turning this problem um, around the other way, and it's looking at it as to, you know, this data that I hold, what would be the impact to that person if it got into the wrong hands, if I spilled it, or there was a breach and it got exposed, you know, and obviously if you have my first and last name, that's probably not that big of a deal. But if you have my first and last name and my address and my social security number and my mother's maiden name and my health records, you know, that's a much bigger impact, right? And I know those are two extremes. I'm just, I'm just trying to make a point. But this idea that we should be thinking about it from the impact of the data subject if something goes wrong really can change you know, how you protect and what you decide to protect, right? It's kind of a filter. And I think yeah. that's a good, that's a, I'm sorry, Nina, I think that's a good filter, right? That, that adding sort of that impact as part of the formula is, is so important. And, and I think that's a good point too, is that a lot of institutions probably don't realize that not only do they have the students, you know, social security number, name, address, and, and all that, but they have like health records too. You know, there's, there's probably an on-campus health clinic and, they have more information and they have to abide by HIPAA and there's a lot more to it than you'd think. Yeah. And I, and I would just add, I think, you know, some of that, the, the HIPAA, the FERPA, those lenses are, are fairly well focused. I think what we're starting to see too is sort of that unregulated data collection, right? So, you know, 
tracking Nina's phone on campus to see if you're going to class, uh, tracking where you swipe your card, how often you leave or access your dorm. And a lot of those are being done under student success or, or learning analytics type initiatives, but collecting that data that may or may not be regulatorily controlled, um, but how you're using it, how you're collecting it, um, who owns it, all the things that, that we've talked about that aren't certainly or specifically defined under HIPAA or FERPA or you know something that's mm -hmm. GDPR that we can point to. That's sort of the gray area now where I think where we come back to raising awareness of you know the use cases, the impact and in, in the ownership of the data. And yeah. I add one thing in um, to what Brian just said is uh, you know a lot of people have experience with HIPAA and FERPA and these regulations. Um, and those regulations are very explicit. You know HIPAA tells you exactly what has to be in your privacy statement. FERPA tells you exactly you have to handle things in certain circumstances. But when you look at privacy regulation, particularly internationally, they are what's called principle-based regulations. Right. So, so GDPR doesn't have an explicit list of these are all the things you have to be to be compliant. They say these are the principles. You, know, you have to be transparent. And it's up to the organization to decide, well, what does transparency mean? You know, and, and all of them are principle-based. And that's a very different way of thinking about it. In some ways, it's it's easier because you can adjust them to your specific circumstances, you know, what your industry is and your risk and, and what data you collect. And in other ways, it, it, it's not helpful because you don't necessarily know how a regulator is going to interpret them. And there's not a tremendous amount of case law out there for us to then, um, you know, kind of extrapolate what we think the regulator wants us to do or not. Um, so that's that's kind of muddies the water a little bit. <laughs> It's a, it's a great it's a great way to look. I mean, I think that's for you know leadership for our membership listening to this podcast. I think that's David. That's a great way to to sort of see interpret you know what what you're up against, right? It's moving target in some sense. So this yes, is yep. really important. Uh, there's one other thing that I want to touch upon that that in your responses made me think of is that not only talking about protecting what matters most, but there's so many devices that are connected to institutions, internet and Wi-Fi. And Brian, what you said, tracking like my phone kind of jogged my memory is that I remember there was, I think a, a runner that had a Fitbit or some sort of like fitness tracking device and they were running around an army base multiple times. And then they were able to track the map and the layout of an army base. And I mean, if you relate that to higher ed, you're able to probably track like where students are going and the maps and the ins and outs of campus. And there's so many things yeah. that students. You, you, are you keep going back to the scary place. Yeah. I'm sorry, but that's just what I think of. And that's what yeah, I think a lot of yeah. people are, you know, or maybe institutions aren't aware of that they're collecting all of this data and they, they don't really know what they have in their hands, you know? Right, and I, and I think our students, so I think the the app was Strava and it was, you know, the U.S. Special Forces were in undisclosed locations and they were using the fitness app to track their workouts, which gave uh, geolocation to anybody on, you know, where, where there might or might not have been things on the map. Mm -hmm. um, but for, you know, for, for us, I think in higher ed, you know, I know we're focused on institutional leadership and IT folks, but our students, are getting more savvy, more aware of what's, you know, what apps that they're using and what those apps are collecting or sharing. So, you know, I think that's why institutionally we need to be, you know, aware of this as institutional leaders so that to your point, we're not bringing, you know, third party services into our campuses um, that are, that are going to potentially put our students at risk. Right. A hundred percent. I only bring up the scary things to, to remind people they need to be aware of them. 
So wrapping up, kind of looking into the future, what's what's on the horizon state-wise or federally for the end of the year or maybe even next year? Like, are there any new regulations that institutions in higher ed need to be aware of? So, I, I mean, I'm seeing two major trends. Um, let, let's for, first talk about outside the U.S. There, there were a lot of countries who have adopted these kind of comprehensive privacy regulations over the last 20 years. You know, they're ahead of the U.S. in, in, in that standpoint. And what we're seeing is a lot of these countries are going back to the regulations and rewriting them um, and bringing them more into alignment um, with the principles that are in GDPR um, and that. So Australia, uh, New Zealand, Canada's in this process right now of rewriting uh, PIPITA. Um, China's even done that. Um, an example in the U.S. is is California, you know, um, yeah, you know, the California Consumer Privacy Act was only in effect for a year, and they already passed the CPRA, which will be kind of the next version, um, you know, coming up. So we're seeing this kind of um, condensing to more consistent um, principles and and data subject access rights. So in one way, this is bad because it's a high bar that you have to comply with. In another way, it's good because it's kind of the same bar, right, which makes that complexity um, problem go, be a little more simple. Um, inside the U.S., we're seeing um, lots of activity at the state level. Uh, Virginia is a perfect example. Virginia, you know, uh, introduced and passed a privacy uh, bill relatively quickly. Um, this was right at the beginning of the year, and it kind of kind of caught a lot of um, privacy professionals like myself by surprise at how quickly that happened. Um, and it is a robust uh, regulation. Um, you have some time before it goes into effect, but but it's it's coming. We're also seeing a lot of states either introduce or reintroduce um, regulation. Um, you know, Washington State, Florida, Colorado, uh, Nevada has some modifications. Uh, New York just reintroduced their privacy bill. Yeah, and there are many others. Um, and, I, you know, some of these, if not all these, are going to pass. I, I, as I said earlier, I think there's a fairly high likelihood that we see some sort of national regulation relatively soon. Um, I don't know where it stands on the Biden agenda, um, but it, it is one of those things that um, you can usually get people across the aisle uh, motivated about, um, and uh, and that and that's important. So I, I think from a U.S. perspective, for U.S. higher ed institutions, this is only going to become more important. And the organizations that I've worked with to help them put you know, robust programs in place um, are in a good spot because it's easy to adjust to these changes or these added regulations. Um, the people that haven't started, yeah, you're getting a little more behind. Um, and it's going to be harder for you to catch up. And and I would just always add our, our advocacy is is don't fall behind. Right. Get started now. Right. Because catching up is so much harder to do. And I think that, you know, the lens, the perspective you provided, David, is perfect. And, you know, I feel like sometimes our members are always looking for like, where where's that matrix? Where's that list? Right. So they need you your expertise to help them sort of guide guide them through that ever changing landscape of state federal uh, le legislation. Yeah, so if I had to kind of sum it up, you know, the things that you should be thinking about as a higher ed uh, institution or a leader in a higher ed institution, you know, it's, it's pretty simple. There's, there's kind of three big ticket items. You know, at, at the top of that is, you know, what regulations actually apply? You know, what am I going to be required to do? That doesn't mean that you might want to not do more than that. Um, you might well want to go beyond that. Um, but what, what are those requirements? What does that regulatory landscape look like for me? Um, the second thing is, you know, everyone's going to have gaps. So how are we going to close those gaps? Do we have the resources? Do we have the people? Do we know how to close those? You know, you don't want to be recreating the wheel every time. 
Um, you know, so so go out and figure out how you're going to do this. Find some help and, and get there. And then the last one, which is probably the most important, is building that sustainable privacy program. Um, you have to put together a program in a way that you can maintain it over the long term. And that's not just from a budgetary standpoint, but obviously budgets have something to do with it. Um, it's how are you going to keep up to date on the latest regulation or the latest finding, you know, in, in the courts um, or the latest find by a regulator? You know, how, how are you going to do that and be able to adjust um, and bob and weave as, as the landscape changes? So that sustainability piece, I think, is huge in building a program that's flexible enough to, to handle that. And at the same time, integrate with your, you know, your security program. Um, and the other things. So those are kind of the three things, you know, I think you should be thinking about if you're going to look at privacy kind of holistically and start down this path. Great advice. I love it. I love it. Basically start now, you know, it's never too early to start and why not get ahead of the game and just to keep up to date with trends that are going on and your best to be flexible. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you, Brian. Thank you, David. I appreciate this conversation so much. And hopefully our listeners in the higher ed space did as well. So until next time, thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Nina. That's our story, and we're sticking to it. See you guys next time on Knights of the Cyber Table.